about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. doing Isaiah 51, 4 to 16. Um, So here goes. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And, it, and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Hear me, you who know what is right. You people who have taken my instruction to heart, do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment. The worm will devour them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever, my salvation through all generations. Awake, awake, arm of the Lord. Clothe yourself with strength. Awake as in days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced that monster through? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker, who stretches out the heavens and who lays the foundations of the earth, that you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor? who is bent on destruction. For where is the wrath of the oppressor? The cowering prisoners will soon be set free. They will not die in their dungeon, nor will they lack bread. For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Almighty Lord, the Lord Almighty is his name. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand. I who set the heavens in place, who laid the foundation of the earth, and who say to Zion, you are my people. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, I'm Beck, and I'm going to continue reading for us tonight from Isaiah 52, verses 4 to 10. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord. 
For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. I have, yes, I'm booming. Excellent. My name is Mike, and now I'm on the mic, and it is great to be home, uh, as I am going to speak a bit about home, and it's great to be in the building seeing most of your faces. Of course, it is hard to recognize each other at times, isn't it? I've embarrassed myself a few times already. But if you are new here tonight, it is so good to have you, whether you're online or in the building. Uh, it's great to regather and come before God and, and open our hearts before Him. And as I think about what it is to be home. I'm thinking about far more than a house. Now, home is more than a house. I think of a place of belonging. You know, at its best, it's a, it's a refuge, a, a place of peace, best shared with an open door, meals around the table and shared with those that you love. Am I right? Do you feel that? It feels very homely, right? We've had a taste, excuse the pun, just a taste of things not being right with our homes. At least that's been my experience. Our doors have been closed. I haven't been able to share a meal with people beyond my immediate family. And for some of us, our homes have been centers of stress, overrun with the chaos of things out of order, things not right, things out of rhythm. A couple of stories shared with teachers have made me grieve, actually, to think about what they've said about kids who are not safe at home. And it's been safer to have them at school during lockdown. For some of us, our homes had been places of isolation. Everything's been out of kilter, not right. But then, of course, as we think about our own experiences, we think about those who ordinarily don't have a home on the streets of our city or zooming out across the world, those that have been displaced from their nation because of famine, war and disease. And when I think about home like this, I get, I get two perspectives. I get, I get something that's really right with the world, things I love and long for and can experience, and things that are very much not right with this world. And I start here not just because of my experience in COVID, but because for Israel, they are feeling something very not right. They have been displaced from their land, the land God promised them, the land where their temple was, where God dwelt and it was totally razed to the ground and they were taken off into a foreign nation. And now instead of being this glorious Zion, they are captives. They have a real sense of things not right with the world. But if you're new tonight or kind of just still trying to make you sort of get sense of, uh, of Isaiah, you know, we're chapter 50 
1 and 2, the first 39 chapters of this book was God sending the Isaiah, the Isaiah the prophet, a, a word of judgment to Israel, that things were not right because they had rejected God. It's kind of a repeat of Eden. God made a beautiful home for Adam and Eve. And he asked them to, to live and enjoy it, but to exhibit their, or kind of demonstrate their love and obedience to God, their dependence on Him by just not eating from the tree of knowledge. But they did. The next minute, <laughs> they were exiled. And God's been pursuing this people, but they've done it again. So what is God to do? At very least, we experience a not-rightness with the world. And when we come to this passage, we hear of, and it's kind of a centerpiece of sorts to this series, we hear of God's righteousness coming. And at one level, that sounds terrifying. But what this passage illuminates for us tonight is the good news of God's righteousness, the peace that we might have in a world that is not right, because God is going to make things right. That is His righteousness. Today is a message not just recounting God's act in history, but a revelation of His character, made fully known to us in Jesus Christ. And so I want... I want God's character, I want Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to fill your hearts as much as you have a sense of things not being right in the world. And I want you to wake up to a new day of God's righteousness. I encourage you to have your Bibles open. We've got a kind of couple of chapters that I'm going to try and work through. If you're at home, multitask on your device or whatever, but it's good to have a Bible, a, a, a physical Bible in front, because you can flick across a bit. They're in the pews, grab it. Uh, and I'm going to do some Q&A after this as well, if something uh, I, I miss or something's not clear. But uh, I'm going to break up the passage into a few chunks, and this one here, I'm going to begin with the righteousness of God coming. And that starts uh, in verse 1 of 51. And the passage begins with God speaking. Listen to me. You who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. That's chapter 51, verse 1. He speaks comfort to them. He speaks of showing compassion and how he's brought righteousness before. For as much as things don't feel right at the moment, he reminds them of a time gone by where things were not right, where, where chaos reigned, where people were not faithful to God. And he called Abraham. And by faith, he credited righteousness to Abraham. And he promised Abraham a blessing and land and a people. But as I said, Israel failed to trust God again and remain faithful to him. And they found themselves now without a home, without a temple, without peace. But God is calling them. Surely I will comfort Zion, he says, and look with compassion on her ruins. And he speaks of restoring Eden. Do we not long for this? Verse 4, listen to me, my people. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way and my arm will bring justice to the nations. Look how fully orbed God's righteousness is. Justice, salvation. His power. Meditating on these words, just the words that are on the screen now, has kind of given me a great sense of peace. I've had a few things over the last couple of weeks where things have been acutely not right. And to sort of 
prepared this sermon and, and think about these words has given me great peace because God's righteousness is a marvelous thing. But as I call upon the righteousness of God, as I call him to make things right, I acknowledge that I'm calling upon God's justice. And I know that in my own unrighteousness, his justice will overtake me. I'll be swept up in it. But God is also speaking about his salvation on the way. And it's a marvelous thing, God's righteousness, right? Because God's righteousness has, has, has brought about judgment upon Israel. It's about to bring justice to the nation that he used and who then perpetrated injustice on Israel. And it's also, his righteousness is also going to bring salvation. It's this fully orbed thing. And to try and make sense of that, let me put it like this. God's righteousness, I really should have this on the screen, but I don't. God's righteousness is God acting rightly according to his nature and for his namesake. Let me say that again. God's righteousness is him acting rightly according to his nature and for his namesake. God is a God who saves and he's a God who cares about that which is not right in the world. And he holds these two things together. And as Isaiah hears these words, he kind of hears this reaction. And we can sort of see actually the break in the text a little bit. Look at kind of, um, where is it? So verse, verse 8 finishes with quotation marks. That's the sort of end of God speaking about his righteousness coming. And then we get verse 9 starting with no quotations. That's Isaiah speaking, responding to God. And he says, awake, awake, arm of the Lord. Let's do this. Bring your righteousness, bring your salvation, bring your justice, we need it. This might be a bit old, but this is what I think of. I get a few laughs so people know what's going on. Um, Shia LaBeouf, about, I think it's 2015 or 16 now, did this motivational speech uh, really railing against snowflakes. People who kind of said they would, they would do it tomorrow and that's gone and they didn't do nothing. So he's like, just do it! That's what I feel like Isaiah is kind of, uh, sort of, it's welling up in him. God, we know, I, I know who you are. I, I can almost taste the promises coming to fruition, the kind of the singing and the joy and the crown on our heads as we, as we go back to Zion. I know you're going to do it, God, because you are God. So just do it. <laughs> I wonder if you feel like that as well. In, in moments, knowing who God is in Christ... When you experience things not right in your workplace, and we've heard of a couple of examples tonight of the stress and the drama of things not being right in this world, we cry out, just do it. Awake, God. Bring your strong arm. I call, I call it a holy impatience. That there's a holiness as, as, we, as we call out to the God who is God. And we're impatient to see that come to fruition for us to taste his goodness. And it's actually how the Bible finishes. The last words of Isaiah, of, of Revelation 22 is, come, Lord Jesus, come. This holy impatience. Come, Lord Jesus. But before God simply gives Isaiah a high five with his strong arm and says, let's do it, he responds in three parts. And it's really helpful for us to see how God responds here. Because as much as we want God to just fix everything. There is something deeper going on, something that's going to fill our hearts more. Because God speaks 
into his, Isaiah's, and Israel's fears, reminding them who he is, and then he calls them to wake up. You ready? So the first thing God does, in verse, starting from verse 12, is to remind them who he is. I, even I, am the one who comforts you. Not, not just in fixing things up, but, but in reminding Israel who he is. That he is their God and they are his people. I, even I, am he who comforts you. And then, who are you that fear mere mortals? What are you doing, Israel? What are you doing, people? Wake up. Stop fearing these small moments compared to the almighty nature of God. The God who is righteous. The God who acts according to his nature. Isaiah and Israel's holy impatience, you know, it stems from a deep longing of God to act according to his nature, but it also stems from a fear of what's happening around them. I think of that moment where the disciples are in the boat with Jesus, and, uh, you know, there's a massive storm, and they're kind of, there's a battle-hardened fisherman, they know a storm, right, they can, they can tough it out, but they are freaking out that they're going to die, and Jesus is having a nap, and they're like, Jesus, wake up! <laughs> It's the same kind of thing. Jesus really responds to them, you wake up, you of little faith. Do you see how when God's righteousness comes, it's like a firm hug. It, it kind of, it, it, you bolt upright. You, there's comfort, but there's also a rebuke even. Wake up Israel, wake up people. Because despite the fear of man that has led them to forget the Lord your maker, that's, how, that's what God is accusing them of, God is the one who has stretched out the heavens. God is not caught off guard by this. This is going to happen in his timing as he acts, both as a God of justice and a God who saves. He will release them from, cap from being captives. That is definitely going to happen. So verse 14, you're not going to be left in the dungeons. Why? Verse 15, I am the Lord your God. The Lord Almighty is his name. I have put my words in your mouth, God says, and covered you with the shadow of my hand. I who set the heavens in place, who laid the foundations of the earth, and who say to Zion, you are my people. So before God just fixes things, he is calling them back to the knowledge that he is their God and they are his people. The very reason they sit in this predicament is because they rejected God. He is reminding them, he's calling them to wake up to the truth that he is God and they are his people. So that's what he says, wake up. Verse 17, awake, awake, rise up Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained it down to its dregs, the goblet that makes people stagger. You might have tried to wake up a drunk person before. It's a messy business. They're kind of, I mean, alcohol's a poison and their body's racked with it uh, and they're exhausted and they're disoriented and they're sick. It takes a while and they kind of, they stagger, they don't know what's going on. That's Israel. But not because they've drunk wine, but because they've suffered under the wrath of God. God's righteousness for them in their rejection of Him has been judgment. There is no one to console them, help them. They were under God's righteous judgment because they deserted the God that loved them. 
the God they were dependent on, and now they are in captivity. As the New Testament would describe it, they were dead in their sins. There is no way they could pick themselves up, release the shackles, walk back to Zion and rebuild the temple on their own strength. That was physically impossible. But not with God, the God who raises people from the dead. Awake, awake, rise up, says the Lord. I have taken out of the hand the cup that made you stagger, verse 22, because God is a God who saves. That's his righteousness as well. Wake up, you people, you're no longer under condemnation, he's saying. He has passed judgment from them and he's going to give it to those who we use to judge Israel because they've inflicted injustice as well. And when you think about it like that, you realize that the whole world stands under God's judgment. That's exactly how Romans 3 puts it. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. But God is saying to Israel, my righteousness for you, my people, is salvation for you. There is no condemnation for you any longer. I wonder if that's what you need to be reminded of. Maybe your heart feels heavy with all that's gone by. Not necessarily because you, and I just want to do a sidebar here, So sometimes we feel like when we're suffering that God is really displeased with us because we did something particular and he's responding in kind. This, what's happening with Israel is very particular. They broke a covenant promise and God sent prophet after prophet to speak very particularly about their return. We in Christ do not need to fear condemnation. But sometimes we feel we sort of deserve it or we're caught up in the drama of it or maybe in in all the dark places we've been through. Maybe you have participated in things that you know displeases God and you feel God's hand heavy upon you. I want you to hear these words as well. There is no condemnation for you because of Christ Jesus, because of God's righteousness, because God is a God who saves. God wants us to rise up, having taken away condemnation. And he wants Israel to know this particularly before he releases them from captivity because he is calling them back into personal relationship with him. It's not just about circumstances. God will deliver them from their captivity, but he first and foremost wants them to know that he is their God and they are his people and they are no longer under condemnation. They are now included in his righteousness. Secondly, he calls them to wake up because they are valued. This is chapter 52. Awake, awake, Zion, verse 1. Clothe yourselves with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. Jerusalem, the holy city. And it's kind of, I wonder when they heard this. They might have been in their sackcloth. They might have been, I mean, they certainly weren't given clothes of splendor by their captors. They would have been like, well, where, what are you talking about? But, but God is speaking of his value of them. The, the delight he has in them. And I think we particularly need to hear this bit. Having been freed from condemnation, we need to know the high esteem that God has of us. Let me think about this. In in lockdown, there was plenty of down days I had, as we all did, and that's kind of healthy, right? And when things are so not right, you're shut in and things are just kind of on loop. You, You have down days, right? That's healthy grief and response to those circumstances. But what isn't healthy is when that sinks down into your heart. You might, you might feel lost, feel useless, 
But when it goes into your heart, you start to say things like, I am lost, I am useless. And you start to value yourself by the circumstances around you or, or perhaps by the torments that are inflicted upon you, as was the case with Israel. They were taking on the mocking. Your God is useless. He let us kind of just destroy your temple where we're supposed to live. I mean, their self-worth would have been nothing. It's the same as the prodigal son, actually. You know, you know that moment where Jesus tells a story of, of two lost sons of, of, of kind of a very wealthy father. The, the prodigal son goes off, spends the, the, the father's wealth, and then ends up with nothing. And, and when he realizes he has nothing and he screwed the father, he, 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 he's in this kind of moment of shame and kind of worthlessness. And he's like, well, I'm eating food out of a pigsty. I'll, I'll go back to my father and I'll say, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me a hired hand. But the father speaks of the delight he has in that son as a son. And he clothes him with a robe and an embrace of love. How has this season been sinking into your heart? How has the fears of this world been filling you up that you might even forget God? Remember, that was how, what God accused Israel of. Replace that with the words of God who says, I value you. You are worthy. You're worthy of Christ's blood even. Let's be refreshed in that. Let us wake up to God's righteousness made known to us. God has taken away our condemnation. He has clothed us with splendor. He will deliver us ultimately and make all things right. But first and foremost, he is calling us to be in personal relationship with him for us to be his people, for him to be our God. This is good news, more than ever perhaps. And I feel like it's, it's good news that the world might want to hear more than ever, as the kind of foundations of the world built on itself are starting to crumble. And that's what, how we finish this. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It, it, it might even ring true of kind of what you've heard in the New Testament, and Paul quotes it in Romans 10. Now, for now, let's read it. Verse 7 of 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And I can only imagine, maybe you want to sort of just think about what it would be like to be sitting on the riverbanks of a, of a, of a distant nation, in the midst of despair and hopelessness and feeling worthless. These words of God to a people who felt condemned, you are not condemned. To a people who felt worthless, you are worthy. And to now hang on the promise that he will release them. That would have been oh, refreshing to say the least. World changing, uplifting, good news. And the gospel, the word we use for gospel is just this good news. It is good news. God's righteousness is good news. I, th I think even of the beautiful news that Chloe's parents would have heard this week. I cannot even imagine what they went through. How good is the news, how good is the, how beautiful is the feet of those who bring good news. And that's what God is bringing to us. Romans 10 is where Paul uses this passage. 
And he uses it as, as he thinks about a world who is in desperate need of the good news that God has been in the business of making since Adam and Eve fell from his grace. He says, how can they call on the one that they do not believe in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? This is Paul in Romans 10. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Since I'm sort of in my middle-aged years, and since I am leaving in a, in a six weeks or so, which is grieving, uh, to say the least, um, I've been thinking about the, the L word, legacy. Uh, that's middle-aged, right? Um, I, I don't want my legacy to be fixing a monitor up the front. I want my legacy to be feet, beautiful feet, that bring good news to a part of the city that desperately needs to hear it. And that doesn't happen because I get whipped by an imperative to now go out and sort of make it known, do it, do it. <laughs> it comes out of an overflow of soaking in the good news myself. And as I said, there's been a few weeks gone by where things have really not been right in different parts of my life and as I work with people and pastor people and not right in theirs, it's got to be rooted in knowing God's righteousness, that God has power to save, to make things right, to call us home. Not just a home where there's kind of no COVID for a year and vaccinations are going to work, but to an eternal home. Friends, do you long for this world to know that truth? Do you long to bask in the goodness of this good news every day of your life? Friends, let us wake up to the righteousness of God and enjoy Him, for He is our God and we are His people. Let me pray. Our Father, would you fill up our hearts to overflowing with the good news of Jesus? You know our hearts are full of fear, full of anxiousness, would all that be displaced as we know that you are in control, as we radically trust you in new ways, acutely feeling at points the, the not rightness of this world, let us put that into your hands because you are righteous. And Father, would you use us to take this good news to your world that doesn't know you. We pray it in the power of the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. 
For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.